Hey, I'm Brandon, the online campus pastor here at Big Valley Grace, and thank you for taking a moment to watch this message. It is the teaching portion from one of our live weekend worship gatherings, and we have those every single weekend here online and in person, and I just want to extend an invitation to you to join us. We're just a local church, local body of believers, and we would love if you would join us uh, on a weekend upcoming here sometime soon. Uh, but as we get headed into this message together, a couple things just want to point you to. One is a connect card. If there's any way that, that we can pray for you, if you want to contact us, that connect card form is just a really great way uh, to let us know that you're joining us. Any next steps you want to take, stuff like that is right on there. Also, if you want to bring in offering, a worshipful gift uh, to King Jesus, you can do that right on our give page on our website or via text. So hope you enjoy the unpacking, the unfolding of the word as we look at it together. Well, good morning. Welcome to Big Valley Grace. And those of you who are online, a special welcome to you today. We are concluding our series on the book of Proverbs. And it has just been a great adventure. And if you've missed any of the messages, you can go online and you can see them. I encourage you to, to go back if you've missed any of them. Last week, Pastor Joel spoke, dealt with some significant cultural issues. Man, that was a powerful message last week. So appreciated his teaching. And it's been a wonderful adventure. And the nice thing about Proverbs is, there, is there's 31 chapters, 915 verses, but there's a chapter a day. So in any given month, and when we start in February, you can go to February, on February 14th on Valentine's Day, you can read Proverbs chapter 14 and just track along. Uh, there's, uh, make that a habit. I know of one gentleman that for the last 43 years, every single day he has read the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter by chapter by chapter. There is, it's a deep, deep well. You will never run dry on the book of Proverbs. And it is there, divinely inspired truths to help us to learn how to live our life and reflect Christ in all that we do with our, in our personal relationships, with our finances, um, in our employment. Uh, even if you're in a political office, the book of Proverbs uh, is for you. But I want to start before we go into chapter 30, which is where the text will be for today, I, want, I always go back to this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And it reminds me of why we study what we study and why when we come here to Big Valley Grace, it's important to bring your Bibles. We're going to study the Word of God. That's where the truth comes from. And Paul wrote to his young student called Timothy and he said, Timothy, all Scripture, every bit from Genesis chapter 1 to the end of the last chapter, the last verse in Revelation 21, everything in here, all scripture is God-given, God-breathed. When you read this, God is speaking. You're hearing the breath of God. And Peter says, we didn't write this on our own. God led us, and he put a stamp of approval over this. It didn't just come out of our own minds, as many books are written today. No, this is the Lord speaking to us. It's a letter to each of us. He desires us to get to know him, to enjoy him, to see that he is faithful from generation to generation. He's establishing promises in our life that we can depend upon. It's through his word that we have peace and hope. All scripture, it's without error. It's consistent in every aspect of life. Historically, ethically, morally, there are no contradictions. All scripture comes from God and is profitable. It's beneficial and it's useful in our life for lots of different things. One, it teaches us. This is profitable for teaching. It helps us to give insights into who we are, to who he is and how we can connect with one another. It helps us. Our default is to move away from the Lord, not towards him. This helps us to draw near to him. 
He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants us to have a relationship with him. He knows that we are better and healthier the closer we are to him. And so all scripture is profitable for teaching. But it's also for reproof, for correction. There are times when we are going down the wrong road. Anybody been down the wrong road? (laughs) In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about that there's a great race that we're all a part of. And those who've gone before us are like sitting in the stands, cheering us on, encouraging us. They've gone on before us. They've endured things that we will be facing. And they say, you can do it. You can do it. You can finish this race. Keep going. Keep going. But they're also shouting, you're going the wrong way. You're going down the wrong road. That road has a dead end. Don't go down that road. And so there are times in our life where we need to be corrected. It's a prideful heart that says, I don't need any correction in my heart. It's the prideful heart that says, I don't need to, anything that's in here. In fact, the Lord says that uh, in Matthew chapter 4 that, that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Folks, you and I are not dogs and cats. Dogs and cats can get along real well on dog food and cat food and rats and mice, right? <laughs> but not us. We are far more than a dog and a cat. We need the word of God in our life. Our life is so much more than the physical. We are made in his image. We are made to reflect him like a mirror. And the only way that we can do that is by drawing near to him and being in his word. So it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and it trains us to go in the right direction. It trains us in righteousness. And and all of that has a purpose. It's a gift from God. So that you and I, as a man and woman of God, would be perfect perfect and equipped for every good work. The word perfect doesn't mean that you and I would be flawless, but that we would be mature and deep in Christ. I love going to the Calaveras big trees and seeing the General Sherman tree and all of the big sequoias that have endured incredible snowstorms and fires for thousands and thousands of years. They remain, they stand strong. And it's hard to get one of those puppies down. And it just, that's what the Lord wants each of us to be. That when we go through the afflictions of life, that we can weather every storm and find that he is faithful so that we can sing the song that we just sang, that all my life, you've been so, so good. So the word of God is beneficial to us. That's why we take time to read it. It's why we study it. And Proverbs particularly is divinely inspired. And the Lord used three men to put the Proverbs together that we would have here today. Solomon is one of those writers. Uh, He's responsible for chapters one through chapter 29. And his original intent as he wrote that was to his son, a father's word to his son, how his son might live. And one of his sons was Rehoboam, who was gonna become the king after him. And he was concerned that Rehoboam would go down the right track. And as you read the book of Proverbs, man, particularly the first nine chapters, Man, those words are true for every single one of us to teach us and that we should teach to our children and our sons that they might live well-meaning life, a life without shame and without regret. That was Solomon's intent. And Solomon's great hope for Rehoboam is that he would have a hunger and thirst for God and he would treasure wisdom. And he would recognize that of all the things that he had, and Solomon was a rich, rich man. Silver, it says in the Bible, was like, like gravel. It was so plentiful. 
as you read the book of Second Chronicles and the wealth that came into Solomon, enormous wealth, and he would say that his word is more precious than silver or gold. In fact, a good word is like a, a beautiful golden apple wrapped in silver. It is precious. It goes all the way down to the deep parts of the heart. Unfortunately, Rehoboam didn't pay any attention to his dad. Any of you have kids that didn't, don't pay any attention to you? <laughs> That was Solomon's intent, is that he would help his son to get on the right track. And then there's another thing. We, we know nothing about him or his friends that we're going to mention. We'll read about him here in just a little bit in Proverbs chapter 30. His name is Agur, A-G-U-R. It's an Arabic word. So it's quite likely that Agur was not a Jewish man, but he was familiar with the scriptures, and he was considered to be wise in those days, and the Lord was speaking through him like he did Job, and we're going to read about that in just a little bit, just the first few verses of Agar. Then there's King Lemuel. Some think that King Lemuel is a nickname that a mother gave to his son Solomon, and possibly that might be the case. But it could be another king that we have no, no knowledge of. There's no other writings that we know of a King Lemuel. But when you read chapter 31, the first few verses, King Lemuel is saying, this is what my mom told me. And boy, that, folks, that's encouraging to every one of us. As a dad, I have a responsibility to, to encourage my children, my, my sons and my daughters to chase after the Lord. And here's a mother who's speaking to and says, son, I want you to be a great king. And as a great king, there's gonna be traps and snares you need to watch out for. You need to be careful and guard your heart from the physical pleasures in life, lest you be led astray. And you need to watch out for strong drink. And Pastor Joel gave a great message last week you need to hear about the snares of the devil and how he wants to trap and snare and cause us to move away from the Lord. And his mother was saying, son, I want you to be a great king. A great king is one who gives justice and righteousness and cares for the poor and the oppressed. King, you be a king to all the people, but watch out for these snares lest it clouds your judgment and disables you from being a noble man and then the King Lemuel writes about a woman, a godly woman, at the end of Proverbs chapter 31, that for every man, 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 the Lord give you one of these gals to be married to. And it's an incredible encouragement. And he's probably writing about his mother that as he looked at her life and as an image of the kind of people that we ought to strive to be. I think First uh, Timothy chapter three, the qualifications of the elder should be for every man and Proverbs 31 for every woman. Some good stuff that is there. So that gives us, that's the background. So we have three writers, Samuel, Agur, and King Lemuel uh, are contributing to this. And we're reading Proverbs chapter 30, the words of Agar. So let's look at it. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to it. We're just going to read the first few verses. And then we're going to pray and we're going to go into the word here. So chapter 30, verse 1 says, The words of Agar, the son of Jacka, the oracle, the oracle. The Hebrew word is Masa, M-A-S-S-I, M-A-S-S-A. It could be a region. Or it could be a prophetic utterance. And so there's some uncertainty in my New American Standard is considering that it's a prophetic utterance. So God is speaking to him and he's gonna give us some insights here in just a moment. And so this man, Agar, declares to his friends, Athel and to Athel Yukol, and this is what he says. And this would be good for each one of us to recognize that every one of us have significant limitations. And Agar is feeling that. And this is what he says. Surely I am more stupid than any man. The word stupid means I, I feel as dumb as an animal. I, I, there's just so much that I don't know. There's humility here as he's writing this. So surely I'm more stupid than any man and I do not have the understanding of a man. 
that he's thinking about are the individuals that have elevated themselves to be wise men, and he's just saying, man, there's just so much I don't know. And in verse three, he says, neither have I learned wisdom, nor do I have the knowledge of the Holy One. And he recognizes that as he considers the one who's above all things, there's so much that he doesn't know. It's good for us to be in that place, to recognize that, uh, boy, the Lord is endless. And every day we are learning something new about him, and that's what eternity will be like. Every day will be a new day. Every day we'll learn something new. He is infinite. He's fathomless. There's no end to understanding and knowing him. And all of eternity, every day will be a revelation, a new aspect of who he is. And so he says, nor do I have the knowledge of the Holy One, verse four, who? And now he's asked these questions. So who has ascended into heaven and descended? That was what the Tower of Babel was all about. And the answer is nobody. Nobody has ascended into heaven and descended. Now from heaven, Lord descended and ascended, but there's no human being that has ascended into heaven and descended. Who has gathered the wind in his fist? No one. Who has wrapped, I mean, the answer obviously is the Lord, not any man. Who has wrapped the waters in his garment? No one but the Lord. Who has established all the ends of the earth? No one but the Lord. What is his name? Every one of us ought to be asking that question. What is his name so that we can know him? What is his son's name so that we might know him? Surely you know. And here's where he lands. Look at verse five and six. Every single word of God is what? Tested, flawless, pure. You count on it. And the word tested means refined by fire. Every word has been tested and true. For any of you who have ever worked with metals and melted metals, and I've had that experience. I used to do some of my own reloading and I would make bullets out of lead and I would get lead from tire weights and old batteries and I would melt it down and the first thing that comes up is all the tin and the other stuff that's in the impurities that's in that lead and you'd scrape it off again and again to get the purest lead you can and, uh, and that's what he says. Every word has been tested and refined by fire. And so the Lord our God, the Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Amen. And to everyone who's put their trust in Him and knows that that's true. And so here's a warning in verse six. So do not add to His words, or the Almighty God will reprove you, and He will show, and, be, and, and you and I would be proved to be a liar if we add anything to His word. And this is a heavy thing here today. I really want to teach God's word as a way that it's meant to be taught. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this privilege and opportunity to have here, Lord, today to open up your word. Father, I'm so grateful that your word is tested and true, that it's living and alive today. Father, I pray that your word would speak to us today and for all that are here and who, all who may be watching, that, Father, you would penetrate to the deepest parts of our heart, that, Father, you would bring truth to light, you would open our eyes that we might see, you'd open our ears that we might hear, that you would soften our hearts that we might receive your word. And that, Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us to chase after you, to imitate you like little children. So, Lord, this is your time and your place. Lord, would you speak to us here today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. The theme that runs through Proverbs is get wisdom. You can be the richest man in the, in the world and be the greatest fool. Out of all the things that you might ever desire for you and for you and for your children is that they would be wise. And Proverbs says 
to get it while we can. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20 and 33 says, Wisdom stouts in the streets, is anyone listening? And there will be a time when calamity will fall. And if you have not paid attention, if you have not listened, if you have not received wisdom, you will groan and you will mourn because it will not be there when you need it. And so get it while you can. Paul says to, Tim, Paul says to the, the people in Corinth, says today is the day of salvation. There's no guarantee for tomorrow. The door of opportunity is now. Get it while you can. Every day the Lord extends himself to you and to me, to your friends, to the people you work with, to your relatives, to your sons and your daughters. The Bible says that he moves throughout the whole earth looking for someone whose heart is completely his. He's looking in every hogan, every teepee, every homeless encampment. He's looking in your home and every room. He's looking for someone whose heart is completely his that he might show himself strong to each one who would seek him with all of his heart. Jeremiah says, I know the plans, Lord, you know the plans you have for me, not for calamity, but for a future and hope. And then you will call upon me and you will find me if you seek me with all of your heart. The Lord is calling today. Softly and tenderly, he's calling. And he's asking in Proverbs chapter one and chapter eight, is anybody listening? Because now is the day, now is the opportunity. You may be here today, you may be watching today. And you know your life has been off the rails. The opportunity today is to come back to him. His arms are always open wide. There's a beautiful picture in the book of Luke of a father who is waiting and waiting for his wayward son. And when he comes home, he runs to his son. He embraces him and never once, not one time does he shame his son. Not one time is he critical of his son and how he has spent his wealth and, and ruined his life. Not one time. It's a picture of our heavenly father whose arms are open wide, who wants to receive us who wants to bless us, who wants to love on us and to direct our lives and fill our lives with his joy. The opportunity is today. Wisdom's also what we want for our children. Proverbs makes it really clear that there's two ways that one can live. There's not three, there's not four, there's two. You will either live your life wisely or you'll live your life foolishly. None of us want our children to live foolishly. We are to admonish as moms and dads to help our children find wisdom. We teach growing kids God's way. There's a group right now that are meeting, and next week Nancy and I will be back up teaching that. And the whole aim of growing kids God's way is that you'd set into the heart of your child to seek after God with all of their heart. Because it's only as you seek him, not only as you know him, that you'll find real joy, real, real peace. And the key to finding wisdom, Solomon makes it so clear in Proverbs chapter one, verse seven, is, this, is that wisdom must come from above. It comes from the Father of lights. Every good thing that, that we enjoy comes from him. He's the giver of all wisdom. Wisdom is not based upon how smart you are. It's receiving God's truth and obeying it. It says the one who receives his truth and obeys it, he's the wise one. The one who, who sees God's word and turns his back on it and lives differently, that's the foolish man. That's like to a man who builds his house on the sand. Don't be one of those men. Be one of those who, when he hears it, receives it and follows the Lord and you'll build your house upon the rock. So the key to wisdom comes from, him, it comes from the Lord. The key is fearing him. So what does it mean to fear him? I'm gonna suggest several things. One, one of, the key, one, one of the aspects of fearing God is recognizing that God is God and we are not. <laughs> Grab a hold of that. That he is the almighty God, the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace, the everlasting father, the great I am, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is the sovereign God. The earth 
is the Lord's and everything in it belongs to him, you and me, your dog and your cat, your home, your swimming pool, the cars you drive, the job you have. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It is he who has made us, not ourselves. Woe to you if you think that your success is because of you. Woe to you if you think that the job you got is because of something you did. Lord might have used it, but it's the Lord who opened the doors. It's the Lord who closes the doors. It's the Lord who gives favor. It's the Lord who blesses. Sometimes when I have conversations with individuals, I'll take a piece of paper like this, sometimes it's a dinner plate or a napkin, and I'll say, if this represents all knowledge, if you could take everything that's taught in every university around the world and everything that anybody ever knows and you could put it on a single piece of paper and condense it down, <clears throat> knowing that the Lord knows everything and more, how much do you know? Draw me a circle that represents how much of all knowledge you know. Could you do it? My dot would be so stinking small. <laughs> As I realize there's so much I don't know. But God knows it all. And you think that maybe he, I can trust him. I can lean upon him. And the questions that I can't answer that I'm struggling with, find confidence that he knows and he's able to work all things out to his glory and his good, to those who love him or are called according to his purposes. Yes, our Lord is able to do that. I can put my full confidence in him. It's good to know that he is God and you and I are not. Secondly, part of fearing God is recognizing that one day you and I will all stand before him and have to give an account for our life. In Revelation, it talks about how the books will be opened and everybody, rich and poor, the most famous people, the ones who are above all laws even today, who have great monetary wealth, will all stand on level ground, stand before the Lord, and their money won't do them any good their fame and notoriety will mean nothing before a holy and righteous God. And everything will be absolutely exposed. Everything they have ever said, everything they have ever done, every thought that they have ever had, every motivation they have had, both good and bad, it will all be laid out and all will be examined. And the key to fearing God is recognizing that every one of us will stand before him and have to give an account. And on that terrible day, because it will be a fearful day, because right now, if you have good means, you may not have to be afraid of that judge, because your lawyer may get you off, but not on this day. There will be no lawyer standing next to you, defending you, and on that day, you will wish you had a savior. You will wish that someone will be there to rescue you, to stand in the gap for you, and John says in 1 John chapter 2, it says we have an advocate, Amen. we have a defender. If any of us have sinned, and we all have, and if we acknowledge it and confess our sins, that he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will cleanse us of all unrighteousness, and he will defend us. And he'll stand in the gap and he'll say, Father, his name is written down in another book. It's a Lamb's book of life. He's one of ours. I have paid the price of all of his sin. It is stamped forgiven. Uh, when I said it is finished, it was done for him. He are free by my blood. He's been washed clean as far as the sins, are, uh, the sins been removed as far as the east is from the west. Lord, he is one of ours and everyone will wish for a savior on that day.
And today is the day. Today is the opportunity. If you've been running away from the Lord, today's the day to come running towards him. If you have been rebellious against him, today's the day to stop your rebellion and submit to him. Wherever you are at, it's a day today. It's a day to step forward. But the fear of God is recognizing we'll all stand before him. There will be a day of judgment. None of us will escape it. Also, part of the fear of the Lord is recognizing that you and I have been wonderfully made. Isn't that a wonderful truth? That our life, even though maybe your mom and dad told you that you were here by accident, you weren't. <laughs> You're wonderfully designed, wonderfully made, wonderfully knit together by the creator of the universe. And he brought you to go and gave you life at such a time as this for this generation. That you might know him. That he might work in you and through you. That's what Ephesians said, says. That all of us are his workmanship. Every one of us. And we've been made for an incredible purpose. And a part of fearing him is to knowing that I'm not a lone ranger here. The Lord has a purpose for my life. I've been bought with a price. I want to glorify the Lord with my body. And all that I am and all that I have belongs to him. And when I recognize that and I understand that, man, I, boy, things are just running wonderfully, all right? But Paul, uh, and Joel mentioned this last week in Romans chapter 1, starting verse 21. It says, when we no longer fear God and no longer give thanks to him, he steps back. And he allows us to experience the indulgences of the lust of our hearts and it takes us down roads that are not pretty, not good. It all starts when we cease to fear him, cease to recognize that he's God, cease, don't really give a care what he's gonna have to say or that we're ever gonna face him someday. We don't care. And when we cease to fear him and cease to give him things, thinking that it's all about us, he just steps back. If you don't want to seek him, he will not reveal yourself to he will not reveal himself to you. He'll let you go your own way. You don't want him to let you go your own way. There are dark places when you go your own way. Richard Halverson, who was the Senate chaplain from 1981 to 1995, said this: Men who fear God face life fearlessly. Men who do not fear God end up fearing everything. Well, that's a keeper, isn't it? And isn't that true? That when you fear God, you recognize his role and, you, and, and, his, and his place in your life. Paul says in Romans chapter eight, what are you afraid of? If God is for you, what are you afraid of? Because neither death nor anything in life can separate you from the love of God. If he stands with you, and that's what gave David the courage to face Goliath, because my God is with me. Daniel and his friends said, King, you can do whatever you want to do. We will not bow before you. He's able to deliver us, but if he doesn't, we're going to be in his presence. So, King, you just do whatever you want. The book of Revelation, chapter 12, it says that the enemy accuses us day and night before the Father. But because, but because of the blood of the Lamb, and the word of their testimony, and they do not love life more than death, guess what? Satan is defeated in everyone's life. When you come to the place where you're fully confident in the grace of God, it's amazing how that sets you free. And so our security, our security is in his word. Look at Proverbs chapter 30, verse five. Every word of God is tested. The words of the Lord are like pure words. Silver tried in a furnace is what Psalm says. Over the earth, refined seven times. This book that you have here is an incredible book. There is no book like it. 
No book like it. It stands above every book and everything else that you read, you ought to read it through this, these lies. There's a lot of good things that have been written. I've read a, those college pursuits and stuff. I had to read a lot of stuff, a lot of philosophy, a lot of things. And, and, and all truth is God's truth. But boy, it's sure good to look through God's word to know what's true and what's not true because there's really some stupid stuff out there. <clears throat> and the Bible helps you discern what's true and what's, what's, not, what's not true. Every word of God is tested. This book was written by over, 45, by over 45 different authors over a span of 1,500 years. Nearly every profession is represented here in terms of who wrote these books. I mean, there's some shepherds that wrote it, some businessmen that wrote it. A doctor, physician contributed to this. Uh, Paul, incredibly brilliant man, wrote a whole bunch of this stuff. I mean, there's, there's some, it's amazing how, who the Lord used to write this book, but everyone would say God was speaking. Over the course of about 1,500 years, and folks, this book has endured again and again. Do you know Hitler tried to destroy this book? I mean, if this was found, uh, it would be taken away from you. They would attempt to burn it, and he couldn't do it. Even today, in, in, in behind the Iron Curtain, in communist countries, scraps of the Bible are finding their way in people's lives. You can't erase this. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away before this one will ever pass away. Flowers will fade. Lots of stuff will go away. But God's word will not go away. It's God's word. It's his gift to us. He wants us to know him and to love him and to respond to him. Every word is tested. And Hebrews says it's living and active. This is, while this book has age to it, it is though it was written today. It speaks to us today. It's like a personal letter that God is penning to me today. When I was a student, I was reading Philippians and I felt like God was reading, speaking to me today. It's a living book, not a dead book. And it's active and changing lives today. Come to one of the CR meetings in here and listen to the testimonies of lives being changed because of the power of the word of God. People set free because of the power of the word of God. It's right here. And it's powerful. It's incredibly powerful. It can save the worst of sinners. It can bring people who are furthest away, people that you would, th never dr you would think they will never come to know Christ. He's able to reach them and touch them. The deepest sins can be broken. The deepest hurts can be healed and mended. So the word is living, it's active, and it is powerful. And so our security, look at verse five. Not only is every word that is tested, but God is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And praise the Lord that our God is our protector. David said in Psalms, in the day of trouble, he will lift me up. He'll set me on a rock. I love the passage in Psalm 91. For those of you who are police officers, kind of like the police officers uh, psalm. It talks about being under his wings and the, how the Lord is like a, a mother hen. And he gathers her chicks under the wings when the hawks are flying over, protecting them. That's what the Lord is to us. And Paul says, if God is for me, who can be against me? And Charles Spurgeon wrote that there are many books in our library my library, he says, that are now behind and beneath me. They were good in their own way once, and so were the clothes I wore when I was 10 years old, but I have outgrown them. Nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. Isn't that great? 
So when you and I came to Christ, he beckons us to follow him. If any of you have had the chance to look at, uh, watch the series called The Chosen, it's about the life of Jesus. Over and over again, Jesus is asking people, come, follow me. When you read through the Gospels, it's amazing how people left all to follow Christ. Jesus said, the one who really wants to follow me must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. He's beckoning each one of us to follow him. And a part of following him is that we become imitators of him. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, Paul lays out to the Ephesus church, be an imitator of God like little children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. It sets the tone for our life. And as we follow Christ, as we seek to imitate him, there'll be no immorality, impurity. There'll be no coarse jesting. It will change our language. How many of you experienced your language changing when you came to Christ? Bunches of us. Man, it's amazing how, how, our, our, how the words we use and choose begin to change as we become more like Christ. And then he says, try to learn what's pleasing to the Lord. Make that your life's aim and watch him work. Isn't that great? And so it's our prayer today that each of us would take one more step in following Christ, wherever you are. And some of you have been following him for a long time. Others, maybe this is a new thing. But that you would take wherever you're at in your walk with Lord, never get stuck. Again, say, Lord, I want more of you. There's always the invitation. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. That's what the Lord wants to do in each of our lives. Is to fill us with his joy, his peace, his hope as we face lots of circumstances. And when we have this, the occasion and we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when we walk through the valley of the shadow of cancer, when we walk through the valley of the shadow of unemployment, when we walk through the valley of shadow, you name it, our God is with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. And he will be our strength and our help through every circumstance in life. Isaiah says that our father is the potter. We are the clay. And our prayer is that each of us would be soft clay in the potter's hands. I don't know if any of you have ever had the experience or maybe you've watched a potter on a wheel and he's spinning it and he's taking this clay and he's making, he's putting his thumbs and his hands into this clay and as the wheel's spinning, he's moving this clay up and creating a pot or a vase or whatever it is he's doing and sometimes he collapses and he starts all over again and sometimes as a potter is, you know, he always will have his hands wet and as that clay is spinning, he'll feel something that's not right in that clay and he'll stop it and he'll take a little pick and he'll pick it out because there's a hard piece in that clay because if that hard piece stays, that that jar will not be perfect. And so he stops and he picks it out, just like the Lord does in each of our lives. He brings things to our attention. He wants to conform us into his image. That's part of the whole work of the Holy Spirit is he brings conviction to our life and says, this is out of sync. We're not going anywhere until this is fixed. We need to go make this right to our friend. We need to seek forgiveness. We need to restore this relationship, whatever those things are. But our prayer is that we would be soft clay in the Lord's hands. And lastly, it'd be our prayer that our homes would be like a, a beautiful light in our community, in the neighborhoods that we are at, that we'd be like a city shining on a hill, that our neighbors would see the difference in our lives, not just because we're nice people, but when they see us, it's as though they are seeing the image of Christ. They're seeing unconditional love. 
They're seeing a, a, a vocabulary that's different. They're seeing a generosity that only flows from a person who's really trusting in the Lord and doing good in his name because we love the Lord and we want to serve him. And, and we're looking for the day of hearing him say, welcome home. You are a good and faithful servant. Let me show you what it was all about. That's what it is that we're looking forward to. In just a moment, we're gonna pray. And there'll be opportunity in the altar if you come here today with whatever burden that you're carrying, wherever you might be at, we'd love to pray with you to help you to get back on track if that's what the need is, to help you cast your care upon him if that's what the need is. Whatever it is, there'll be many men and women in there willing to pray, eager to pray, eager to be an encouragement and comfort to you. We're here to support one another. My wife and I are going to be back in the Welcome Center. We'd love to meet you, shake hands with you if we do not know you, uh, but feel free to drop by. But our desire is that in each of these things that the Lord would work in us to help us to become men and women, a church that's pleasing to him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and praise you for your good work. I'm grateful, Lord, that it's not all up to us, that the battle belongs to you. That your desire is that we would fully wear the arm of God and that we would have in our hand the sword of the Spirit uh, which is the word of God, that we would have the shield of faith, our feet would be ready to go wherever you would have to take us, our mind be well protected from any deception or work of the enemy. That, Father, we, our, our chest would be covered with your righteousness and we'd have the belt of truth around us that we would be your people so when people see us, they see Jesus. So, Lord, take your word. Work it deeply into our life for your glory. And, Lord, we look forward to what you'll do through us as a body, as individuals, th through your good work. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.